Hey, 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 welcome back to Have a Little Insight. Ryan and I took a dive down the COVID rabbit hole today. Are you tired of hearing about COVID? Are you tired of living in isolation? Yeah, but it's still going on. So uh, we figured we'd just deal with it and bring a little bit more information. So we sat down with two respiratory therapists from the Ottawa Hospital, Andrea and Kathy. Both have been respiratory therapists at the Ottawa General for about 13 years. And we talked to them about their experience working in the hospital during a pandemic, how their job has changed since the pandemic started, and what their advice is to all of us regular people out there on how we can be good, socially responsible humans amidst a highly communicable disease like COVID-19. We only know as much as what is in the media or what we've what resources we found. So we wanted to um, talk to a respiratory therapist, and uh, I'm glad that we have two uh, to see what it's like from your side of things, like what you see on a day to day basis working in the hospital and working with patients that actually have COVID. To start out, if uh, both of you want to just tell us and our audience a little bit about yourselves and what got you involved in respiratory therapy in the first place, I think that's a good place to start. My name's Kathy. I got started in respiratory therapy after university. I went and did like your traditional four-year degree and then discovered that research really wasn't for me. And then sort of started looking into medical fields and discovered respiratory therapy, which is kind of a new profession in terms of like the healthcare um, industry uh, and thought it was really interesting. You have a lot of autonomy. You have a lot of uh, different patient populations from new babies to the elderly. Uh, it's also in the community and in acute care. So it seemed like a wide ranging field that just uh, seemed interesting. And uh, I'm happy I went into it. I've been doing it for 13 years. They've all been at the Ottawa General Hospital. And um, I'm pleased with my choice. <laughs> Uh, I grew up in Pickering. I was looking at, I was looking at doing stuff with a lab or stuff with medicine and, uh, and yeah, it, ha I happened upon it when I went to, uh, an open house with my dad in Toronto and I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. What do you guys do? Oh, you guys, you guys work everywhere and you work, uh, in home care and you work in labs and, I'm like, I could do this. This looks pretty fun. So I, I went to university and then uh, and then I and then I got my diploma at uh, the Mischer Institute in Toronto. And I never looked back. It was uh, it's always a different day uh, being an RT. And I don't know. I had a good time. Uh, I've been at the Ottawa Hospital for 13 years uh, and I spent my first two years in Hamilton. So I moved, uh, yeah, a long, a long time ago and uh, never looked back. So love Ottawa. Nice. Awesome. Um, so with that, I actually don't know a ton. So maybe we can get into a little bit more like what does a respiratory therapist do? I know that you're both responsible for things like ventilation and obviously anything to do with like breathing and stuff like that. But Maybe what would a typical day look like? What are some of your tasks or responsibilities? Uh, so we work everywhere in the hospital. 
So there's a group of us. We kind of get our pager assignments first thing in the morning. We'll see where they, where we are. So we could be in Emerge. So there would be one RT in Emerge, and we'd be uh, asked to um, look after anyone who came in with respiratory problems, anyone who needs uh, like inhaled respiratory medication, and anyone who needs a ventilator. And then those, uh, and then there are also people that have special airways, so tubes in their neck or things that they have at home that are a ventilator. And then they come into the hospital, and we can kind of sort them sort them out. So there are, we work in eMERGE, we work on the floors, we work in the intensive care unit, and then there's we also work with the uh, the neonates up in the NICU as well. So every day can be a little bit different. Traditionally, we always we usually try and keep the same pager for like if we're working two shifts in a row so we get to hang out with our patients and get to know them a little bit better but yeah we help with their breathing we help with their airways uh if they need help with uh with their tracheostomies or their breathing tubes and we also help with their ventilators invasive non-invasive ventilators so it's very much uh in line with covid right (laughs) yeah Let's just use that as a segue, Ryan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So with that, what are some of the biggest differences you've noticed between your job before and now that we're operating in a pandemic? Like, do you feel that your job has changed as a respiratory therapist? Is it pretty much the same? And if there has been changes, what have they what have they been like? How have they impacted you? I think the job is probably the same. Like, uh, it, lungs are still lungs at the end of the day. I, a lot of what has changed has been the nuance surrounding the job, the policies and procedures surrounding how we formally did procedures are now a little more uh, safety conscious. We were safe before, but we're a little extra safe now. Things have sort of changed in that regard. We still ventilate sort of similarly to how we ventilated before. It's a different illness. We're learning about the illness. We're learning how the lungs respond to the illness. So there's a bit of a curve in, in gauging how this disease reacts to things you do to it. But the but at the end of the day, I think a lot of the stuff is very similar to what we did before. It's just how we do it has changed. Yeah, I mean, we come into the hospital and we're given a mask right away. And so we are, we have been used to having people with tubes in their necks and they communicate with us through lip reading we're really good lip readers and now it's just like everyone's wearing a mask and that's the weird that's like the weird thing for me is like just the amount of personal protective equipment that we use regularly for anyone who's even suspected to have covid or like it's one it's on a differential list for a physician that's really low on the differential but if you test them you we need to protect ourselves so they don't give it to us and we're not spreading it around the hospital so that's been like a big thing for me is that it just like we do our job but it just it takes a little bit longer to get in takes a little bit longer to get out just the amount of like extra little steps with the ppe but that's like we're keeping ourselves safe and we're keeping our patients as safe as possible too. So we don't want people to say like, oh, 
the hospital is like a super scary place and it's full of bugs and we don't want to go in because that's not that's not what we want and we see it happening and i think like the biggest thing from from like the post-covid land is getting people to come back into a hospital has been like a big thing there have been a lot of people who aren't getting screened for their cardiac disease they're not I like our our labs for breathing they're not open and that's really bad because those those pulmonary function labs they test you and they make sure that they're that you're being tested for like chronic diseases and that you're getting the right medication and you're getting the right treatment for it and our labs aren't open and we're trying really hard to get all those things open again. I know a lot of the cardiac stress testing labs have finally reopened. So a lot of people are getting their preventative treatment and therapies for their chronic diseases that have like absolutely nothing to do with COVID, but they were stopped because of COVID. So there's stuff like that is uh, a hard thing for me to wrap my head around is that a lot of people just won't come into the hospital anymore when they should. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, of fear around it, right? Like going somewhere where they feel like they're more susceptible to catching it. Yes. yes. We are wrapping ourselves up, like just and alcoholing the the Jesus out of our, our hands just to make sure, like like that we're keeping you safe. So I think that's like a big thing. It's like, guys, please stick, come in. We're we're here to help you. Yeah, that was something that I think everybody heard of right off the bat was that even emergency room numbers were dropping down. Like, I remember even at the beginning when nobody really knew anything, I remember being like, if I break my arm, just reset it at home. It's fine. Like, I don't need to go, which is crazy, right? Like, that's ludicrous. And we just continuously hear like ER numbers are down. People aren't going to the hospital from other people I know who work in healthcare, like cancer patients aren't getting critical treatments that they need. Like, I think these are a lot of the things that we're hearing. So what would you say to somebody right now who needs to go to the hospital to reassure them that? Yeah. Okay. Well, that go to the hospital. I would, I would like to say that the hospital is probably one of the safest places in the city. We are meticulously trained in how to wear PPE properly. We are trained in how to wear masks, how to take them on and off, how to wash your hands properly to ensure like, total germ killing. We wear gowns. The hospital is cleaned at an insane rate. Like there are people that are cleaning your chair after you stand up. Shout out to the housekeepers. They are, they are gems. They're gems. So, uh, arguably you're coming to a safer place. (laughs) If you are sick, come to the place that will help you get better. We are there. We want to help you and we will help you in a safe manner. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. Well, I wanted to I wanted to touch on like wearing the PPE itself. So it just seems like if working being a, a worker at a hospital, you're taking those measures, wearing the gloves and the masks and all this stuff. Like I know there's there's a lot of mixed information out there and a lot of people feel like, well, you know, I'm not gonna catch it or like I, I'm not really in a danger of being uh, or getting bad symptoms from it. So like why do I need to wear a mask? So wearing all of that stuff actually is a good preventative measure and everyone should be doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, well, we have 
there's different types of masks, first and foremost. Like if when we're going into COVID patients rooms, which we've hung out with the COVIDs for sure, we're wearing respirators, like we're wearing our N95 masks and they're a tight seal. We get tested. So we know that it is a good fit and we get trained how to put them on properly and how to take them off properly. Now for uh, community spread, the biggest thing for like preventing you from giving it to somebody else in the community is to put a mask on. If you put a regular mask on, your fabric mask on, you're protecting others from you. And then if they're putting their masks on, they're protecting you from them. And I think that's the thing that like people aren't wrapping their heads around is that like my mask on my face in the grocery store is for you. And it's not for me. Your mask on in the grocery store is for me. And that's, and like, and so when we're in the hospital, yeah, we're wearing a mask to protect just in the off chance that I am one of those random people that have COVID and are asymptomatic. They just didn't get any symptoms. I don't want to be spreading it to other people. So PPE is a, is hot, is a hot button issue. It's a hot topic issue, but it, it's preventing things for sure. Yeah, I think that's important. And I've never really heard it described in that way. And I know it, like there's that social responsibility aspect to it, right? It's like you do it for other people. And what's happening now is with things opening up again to even a smaller percentage. And they're saying, you know, you can expand your social circle. I think people mis misread that as, oh, I can go and hang out with like 20 friends at a party. It's like, no, no, you can add like two more people to your circle. But with all these big gatherings, they're... Yeah they're contributing to the spread of the virus, even though they themselves may not get any harm from it at all. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Agreed. Damn. Yeah, Kathy, I saw you shaking your head. I was like, oh. <laughs> Whenever there's like on the news, there's a large gathering of people, we all immediately brace. Because <laughs> immediately yeah. we're like, it just takes one, right? It just takes one person to set off a chain reaction that leads to illness for others. And and as a healthcare professional, we do not want that. We, we want people to be safe and happy and healthy and live long lives. So watching the news reports of large groups of people at the beach immediately has me a little bit tense. <laughs> like no one's wearing a mask. Like what is it gonna be on my next ICU shift? Like hmm, yeah. probably maybe it might be a little bit busier. <laughs> like that's we watch the news for like, how busy are we going to be at work? Oof, we might be busier. <laughs> they might be calling in overtime and I don't want, I, I'd like to have some time off. So now granted being outside, there's a lot more airflow than being in a closed, like being in a stadium with a whole bunch of people, right? Versus being like outside with a whole bunch of people. There's that, but yes, there's your, keep your bubble small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if, if people were to gather, as long as they were staying six feet apart in, in an outdoor area, like you said, then that would be OK. But, you know, let's say if I'm going to my family's house for like a, a, a dinner or something. Right. 
should you be wearing a mask if you're going to be in, like in closer quarters with people? It depends. Like, on, does that still on... help, or is it like no go? Like, just don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, if you all wore masks, it would help. But also, like, before you get to your parents' house, decide if it's a good idea to go to your parents' house. It like. Are your parents of a certain age? Does anyone have pre-existing conditions that make them more susceptible to get illnesses? Uh, are they your bubble family? Like, are you going to see these people regularly or are you going to see 10 other people and then go see your mom and dad? All these factors sort of factor into your decision making when deciding who to see. I think limiting who you want to see is a great idea. That being said, I appreciate there are so many extenuating circumstances. You have three children and you're trying to work from home and you need someone to help you with your kids. I mean, that's just not a, a situation that you can stay in forever. However, you, you, you would just have to consider the risks involved in seeing your family, which is something that is very foreign to us and difficult to wrap your head around, especially when you just want to hug your mom or your dad. Yeah. I mean, everything pre-COVID, everything that you do, every trip that you take, it's all a risk assessment. So, I mean, we make risk assessments all the time. I'm going to go into the, my car and I'm going to drive on the 401 and I'm going to go home and visit my parents. Yeah, that's where all the accidents happen. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still going to go. My risk assessment is I'm going to go. But, I mean, you need to keep that in mind that if I am, if I am carrying COVID and I'm hanging out with 10 other people there's a good chance I'm going to infect two people or three people, actually. I think it's N3. And then those three people could infect three more people. And then that's how the spread happens, right? And it's spreading really, and, and it can spread quite quickly. So if you keep your bubbles small, then it's, then the, the lovely health professionals who are contact tracing have less people to quarantine Right. So if I if I come and I'm like, I got COVID, I can go and I can tell all my other friends be like, I came in close, close contact with you. So you need to like you basically need to shut yourself into your own bubble again. So you're not spreading it to other people. So if you've made your bubble 20 people, that's a lot of people to tell. That's a lot of people that could that could spread it that could spread it to like their parents who might have like diabetes and hypertension and are going to have like a really bad time of it versus me. I might, you know, have a fever for a few days and a cough and I'll survive and I'll be okay. Well, yeah, I think, uh, Oh, sorry, Jenny, go ahead. Oh, okay. I was going to say, well, that's kind of, I don't know if you have both seen the news today, but that's exactly what they're looking at in Kingston right now. Right. With the nail yeah. salon is that yeah. they had six infected workers working at a nail salon in Kingston 18 people are now infected in total and they're looking at having to isolate 700 people. And yeah. King Kingston isn't nearly as big as Ottawa. And with reopening, how stringent do we need to be with that bubble? Like how quick can we possibly be? I mean, this wasn't a question I planned on asking, but how quickly can we see our healthcare system inundated to the point where it's unmanageable for people like you? Mm. It's a great question. I'm not sure that I have a, a full answer for you. When COVID first started, we shut things down fairly quickly, I think, before it really got rolling. I think it had people gone away for March break, we might have had an actual answer to your question, because I think things would have exploded in an exponential fashion, and we would have seen those numbers 
sort of come to the foray. That being said, even with shutting everything down, we still had quite a few beds filled. The, the reason our hospital wasn't overflowing was we canceled everything. Like every surgery was canceled. All, anything that could wait, waited. So the only reason our hospital didn't become overflown and, and stretched the gills was because they planned for it. At this point, we're reopening stuff. We're starting surgery again. Because people are waiting, people need these treatments, and so we're into we're in a bit of a different scenario than we were before. I'm not sure that they're going to want to shut it all down again because you're slowing people's lives down. Uh, I don't think it would take very much for us to reach a tipping point. To be perfectly honest, we're a busy hospital to begin with. We run close to 100% capacity pre-COVID. So I think we're running at 60% now, or like they're trying to ramp it up. But uh, they're ramping it up slowly. But yeah. I mean, we need to provide healthcare to everyone, and not the, the, like, the what is it? Two percent of people who get COVID require an intensive care. It's it's a small. It's a small amount of people. Yeah. I don't know about this nail salon, but I'm, <laughs> I'm curious how many would actually need to be hospitalized. Like, if, uh, you know, it's hard, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to throw numbers out when, when people just see a human and that's, it's hard to, it's hard to like separate, I don't know, it's hard to separate, um, what you, what you know to be safe versus like that one person who, who, you know, who's sick now and you're like, "Ah, well, you know, risk benefit i don't know uh i don't know <laughs> so we don't have an answer to your question that's but... okay <laughs> right on answer well, it, it is it is good to hear that um i guess if i heard correctly only like two percent actually need intensive treatment like that their symptoms are bad enough yeah like half the people who got covid in Ontario did not get hospitalized. A small number, like 80% of people like didn't get terrible symptoms. 20% did. And then of that 20%, like not, not as many people like require intensive care. Right. Most but of them but even, uh, like, yeah. I mean, some of them are really young, but not like super young. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Have you, have either of you seen in your own experience since it started, like how severe can the symptoms get for somebody if you've dealt with somebody? It can get severe pretty fast. It can get life-threatening pretty fast. It can get life-threatening pretty fast. Like people come in not feeling well and then like by the end of the day, they're on a life support. Wow. That was... (laughs) And then we are like, do we try and maintain them on some sort of non-invasive tool or do we put the breathing tube in right away? There's lots of points of discussion for that, but they're in intensive care. They're like, they're from, yeah, I'm not really feeling too good. I spent a week at home, like not really feeling great to, to like being critically medically comatose and yeah. Wow. Jesus. So 
I feel like this might be a good time to ask this question. And again, not a medical professional in any way, but we as the general public have heard a lot of, or at least myself, I've heard a lot of comparisons between like COVID-19 and the flu. And like yesterday I went to get blood work done and there's a lot of symptoms and they look like the flu. Have you yeah. seen any big, and like, it's like, I have a runny nose or a headache. Maybe it's allergies. Maybe it's COVID. Like, have you seen any big differentiations between like COVID-19 and the flu and when somebody should say like hey maybe I have COVID or maybe I just have seasonal allergies or a regular cold um I think one of the weird symptoms that a lot of people are are uh, reporting is their loss of the sense of their smell and when they can't taste their food that's like the weird one so like that's been um, I think I think that's one of the major questions if you go into Brewer Park and get uh, tested, which anyone can get tested if you think you have COVID or if you were at that nail salon, you like hop in, like go in, go and get tested. It's and it's pretty quick, too. But they'll I think they sometimes ask you, they're like, have you lost your sense of smell and taste, which is just a wild, weird. And uh, we had a, a colleague who who got COVID and it took a while for the sense of taste and smell to return. So that's just a a weird caveat of this disease. And then some people like barely had any symptoms whatsoever. I think one of the big differences between the flu is the respiratory distress. I think with the COVID people tend to have a lot more trouble breathing. If they're going to the, the far end of the symptom spectrum, they tend to get a lot more trouble breathing than people I see with the flu. Yeah. Like very short of breath for sure. That's a big one. And and if you're feeling any, any sort of shortness of breath, you should go to the emergency room, regardless of if you think it's the flu or COVID. Yeah. Um, but I have noticed like a lot of the, I know you're thinking of the basic symptoms, like the nausea, the vomiting, the tire, the extreme tiredness. I, I do find that, just anecdotally the people who have talked to me about their symptoms have said like the extreme tiredness is an extreme like everything is to the extreme like i've had the flu but this was like 10 times the flu like like i got knocked by a brick type of thing i couldn't get out of bed for a week and a half like uh so there are there are some similarities but i find the extremes tend to be more extreme with covid19 if that makes any sense I do have another question then based on the testing center at Brewer Park. I know neither of you work there, but do you know anything about what the, like how it's set up in terms of protecting people who did want to go in for testing in terms of PPE? Is it as secure as a hospital or is clean or? It's actually uh, lots of our respiratory therapists are working at Brewer Park right now and nurses shout out to the nurses. Uh, it's a, it, it's a one way tour. You, you come up to the door and you're given a mask and you get you basically some guys coming out with uh to make sure that you're washing your hands before you even get seen and they do like a little quick like it's almost it's a questionnaire check but it's usually a doctor they open the door there's a doctor and a nurse waiting for you there how are you feeling what's going on they just do like a really quick like they'll look at you and be like, okay, you're breathing. Okay. You're going to walk this way. And, uh, it's a hallway. You walk down, 
you go, you get checked in. They take your temperature. They make sure that you're on um, the online charting system. So you're going to get an email with your results, which is pretty cool. Um, I, don't, I think they'll only call you if it's positive, but you're going to get your results by an email um, pretty shortly. And then, uh, and all those people are wearing their full PPE. They're all just lovely. So they check you in. You just need your health card. And then they bring you over to another room. So it's, there's uh, walls around the room. There's one nurse and like, and a helper nurse. And the nurse is behind a screen. They swab your throat. It feels terrible. And if it feels terrible, they're doing a good job at doing the test. So don't worry. That's <laughs> what it's supposed to be. And that's it. Like, they said, thank you so much. Here's a, here's a sheet. Um, once you get tested, you are, you should be quarantining yourself. Cause if you think you have it, you're not going to spread it to anyone else. So you go back home and you stay home until you get your email saying whether or not that you have it or not. So it's um, pretty straightforward. It's pretty quick and everyone there, I mean, they've been doing it for, for a little while now. So they've, uh, they've got the system. <laughs> Yeah, and just going back a little bit to what you mentioned before about how like the hospital is probably one of the safer places to go. I've I've heard people just address their concern about, well, I want to go and get tested, but then what if going to get tested means that I might get it because I'm going to where everyone is going to get tested, right? There's just not like a huge like lineup and if you are in a line you're outside and they're you're they're spacing themselves out and you're wearing a mask so i can't they do, they do clean after every patient oh after yeah every patient there's a huge tear down clean yeah all the chairs are like they're not all the chairs are plastic chairs they get wiped down everything is it's it's a short process but it's pretty well maintained uh I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Yeah. There's like not a huge lineup. There's like, it's not, uh, unless like craziness happens in the summer, but, uh, it ain't, it's, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. As long as you're following everything properly, then it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I wanted to touch on, you both mentioned that it's a very isolating disease. So, I guess that's been a very different process in dealing with the patients and then also how the patients are when they have to be isolated and like not having visitors or now they are allowing visitors, but it's very strict. Go for it. I think it's been very hard for patients. Patients thrive when their family and loved ones are around. I've seen it for years. It's like they, they're motivating, they're helpful. They can provide that sense of comfort and homeness that people really need, especially when they're ha they have a critical illness and they don't know what the outcome is going to be. They don't know what tomorrow holds. So it really provides support that even though we are doing everything we can, it just not the same as having someone you love and know with you. So for these patients who, who some of them have been there for months alone, it can be extremely depressing and unmotivating for them to not have family there. And it's really hard for us who want to help them, who can't help them with this. It's not something we can do. There's not something we can do to make it better for them. Everyone has been really amazing. Like there's been iPad chats with families. That's 
sort of the best that we can do up until like a couple of weeks ago. Um, but having family members who couldn't be there for their loved ones during the end of their life was traumatic for the family and for us. It, it was very heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. It was a whole element to the disease that I really didn't think of when they stopped allowing visitors in the hospital. Uh, I didn't even clue in that they were going to do that. So it took a minute to really wrap your head around. And, and I'm really pleased that they've realized that this is an important part of the healing process and the journey for patients in hospitals and allowing family to come back in on a limited basis in a safe manner to really help pick patients up. It's really necessary. It's a huge part of getting better. Totally agree. Yeah, I think that's the hard part too with why people aren't following the, you know, social distancing or keeping their bubble small is because like even me and my girlfriend had a talk about it one night, like my my parents were getting together with like her two brothers and, and their family. And they were like calling us to go over and hang out. And, and like the emotional side of me is like, yes, I want to go. I want to see you. But then the logical part of me is like, is it worth it? Right. Because yeah. I, I could be spreading to them or vice versa. And it's just making that tough call. Like it's hard to everyone's almost going through a grieving process of their normal way of life. Like everything is so strict. You're like, I want to, but I can't. Yeah. You can definitely extrapolate what's happening in the hospital or what's happening in the community. The sense of isolation is profound for everyone. If you live alone, if you live as a duo, if you have loved ones that are close by, but you don't want to touch them, it's, it's all equally hard and difficult. Uh, the mental health component is something I don't think that's been talked about enough during this pandemic. And I think, unfortunately, we're going to be in for a rude awakening in the next couple of months for people who are going to really need help. Uh, and I don't know how well we're prepared for that. Unfortunately, mental health is not something I think we deal with the best as a country necessarily. So I think we're already on the back foot when it comes to mental health issues. And I unfortunately anticipate that we're going to have some mental health crises in our future. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's going to be, it, it's weird how it's not just affecting the people who are infected. It's, it's affecting everyone and it's, a, and, and it's affecting everyone differently for sure. And those that need treatment for, anything like it's everything's been put on the back burner and it needs to things need to start things do need to start opening and like especially the regular health checks and all that stuff needs to come back for this this is the next this will yeah it'll uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens um I know a lot of uh, a lot of physicians are doing a lot of what we're doing right now. We're they're doing video chats. They're trying to stay connected to their patients as much as possible. Through this, we're finding different ways to communicate with each other. I think I think we're finding a lot of different ways to try and uh, connect. And it's it's just the people who like don't have the technology or they are completely isolated that uh, that are the most vulnerable for sure. 
Yeah, and I think uh, a big part of everything reopening is with everything that's been mentioned, like following the right protocol, wearing PPE for other people. And if everyone follows these measures, then hopefully it'll be more of a growth with things opening more and more rather than going back into another isolation period because the spread has started up again. Yeah. And I mean, what do I want to say without offending everyone? <laughs> uh, everyone, like, the, we, we shut everything down because we thought that we were going to be inundated with critically ill patients. We thought that the, our healthcare system was going to collapse. And it didn't. And we have room and we have space. And that's not to say that everything that we're doing right now is good, but opening things up, I mean, COVID's not going away. We still need to live our lives. We're gonna do it as safely as possible or try to, but people are going to get sick with COVID and we do have the equipment and the staff, we have that available at this point in time. So. Yes, it's, it's still in the community, but we, as the hospital, are ready and we're not overwhelmed with COVID at the moment. So it's, it's, a role, it's, it's hard. Uh, people are going to get sick still, but uh, we're not going to be overwhelmingly sick, if that makes sense. Yeah, like the numbers are not going to be massive and as long as everyone's doing their part then hopefully that keeps the numbers down but there's gonna be numbers like it's gonna happen so and yeah. we're okay with that like it, you have to live your life you have to interact with people so we'll see what happens when uh we'll see what happens when when all when the numbers start shifting and uh when things start continue to open because things need to open. Yeah, it can't stay like this forever. It's, uh, it's, I mean, people need to work. People need to work and move around. And it's really tough. It's really tough. I see families just losing it. I don't think I would do well just isolating at home all the time, all the time. You got to go outside at some point. So, sorry, go ahead, Kathy. Oh, I was just going to say, I think we're better equipped now. I think people, like, three months at home has taught people really well how to wash your hands, mm. how to wear a mask, how to stay six, six meters, six feet away, six meters seems excessive, six feet away from each other at all times. I think people, it's now a habit. You can see it when you go to the store. People move away from you. You move away from someone. You let someone go down a grocery aisle before you. I think these habits are already starting to be ingrained. So I'm optimistic that if we can sort of maintain this as well as the masks, that maybe there will not be this, there'll be a second sort of variation of this, but there will not be what, it won't necessi necessitate shutting everything down like we had to before. So I'm curious then as people who are dealing with this on a daily basis, even though we haven't seen the numbers that we've had here, what would both of you say to people who aren't wearing their proper PPE, who aren't social distancing, the thousands of people who are going to the beach and not wearing a mask? Like, 
Is there a way as healthcare workers that you would like to be able to reach those people? And if so, what would you say to them? Um, Firstly, it's good that I wear a mask because I have a lot of facial expressions that people don't need to see. (laughs) (laughs) I have thoughts. I keep them in my head. Um, I thought it explained, I saw it explained really well one time when someone said, if you could take a medication that would decrease your chance of getting something by 70%, would you not take it? That's a mask. Yeah. Wear one. It's just, it can look cute. You don't have to worry about other people's safety on your own. It brings a sense of community to everyone because we're all in this together. Uh, it's just hopefully for a little while. I mean, in theory, this is not going to last forever. So we might as well get it all out now. And hopefully later on, we can go about business, maybe not as usual, but certainly closer to what we were pre-COVID. Yeah. There's there's a time to be selfish and there's a time to uh, protect your community. And I think that's like the big thing is that like that's that's what you're showing when you're not when you're not following the rules is that you're more important than the whole of the community and that's just not the case like everyone we're all in this together which means we need to do everything together (laughs) so yeah it's simple it's easy Mm -hmm. Don't touch your face, wash your hands, wear a mask. It's pretty. pretty Don't touch other people's faces. I mean, mean, some other people's faces, maybe. (laughs) Just pick pick your favorite face. Yeah. I have a favorite face. I touch it, and that's it. Yeah. (laughs) It's your bubble face. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) What? I think I think that's a really good place to to wrap up. Unless there's any other thoughts, uh, I don't really have any other questions. Like I think I covered everything that I wanted to. Yeah, awesome. I'm I'm good. I really appreciate all of your insights and your time. I know that you both are very busy people. I have family members and friends who work in hospitals, and uh, I know it's been a crazy time for you guys. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for everyone for staying home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it made our lives much easier. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for all the work that you've been doing on the front lines and to all the nurses and all the hospital staff. It's it's amazing. And yeah, I'm I'm hoping that this will get better instead of getting worse. So Ditto. Yeah, me too. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope that this was a very insightful episode for you. I know that it was for myself. It was just very good to reaffirm some things that I already thought and also just to get a little bit of clarity on what the PPE is for and what we can do to be socially responsible and uh, make sure that we can continue to open things up rather than go back into an isolation quarantine state. If you guys have any thoughts or any messages that you want to send us, feel free to reach out. We're happy to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, have a little insight. You can go to Instagram. We are Halley Podcast on there. And we also have our email. Have a little insight at gmail.com. And if you're looking for any other information, you can find that in the show notes on the website, have a little insight.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye.